after breast cancer, how do you get your sex life back on track? What is up, sapiosexuals? Thank you for turning on Sex in South Beach with your girl, Dr. Sanjaya, America's sex educator. So the sex situation we're getting into today is all about sex and breast cancer, an important health issue that affects way too many people. Every year in the United States, almost 265,000 women and 2,400 men are diagnosed with breast cancer. And to help us unpackage this very important issue that affects so many people that we all know, I am beyond honored to have my friend Evelyn Brooks with us today. Now, Evelyn is an Emmy-nominated and NAACP Image Award-winning television and experiential event producer. She's a journalist, an author, and host of the podcast, Built by a Boss. She is also a breast cancer survivor who helps women all over the world transform their lives through her virtual platform, In My Solitude LA. Welcome, Evelyn. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. So awesome. Oh, and I know breast cancer affects so many people. I know I have people in my family who have been impacted by breast cancer. My son's godmother is also a breast cancer survivor. And I think one of the things that many people really don't understand that pretty young women can also get diagnosed with breast cancer. A lot of people think this is a disease that really impacts women after menopause, but actually you and my son's godmother actually are real life examples that young women everywhere are getting breast and ovarian cancer. Can you tell us how old you were when you were first diagnosed? So in my early 20s, um, my mother had breast cancer and um, she told me to go and get checked out. And so, you know, I said, I'm so young, like I can't imagine that I would need, that I would have breast cancer or anything like it, but I said, okay, and I just did it. And so it turned out in my early twenties, I had um, something called carcinoma in situ, which is kind of like a precursor to cancer, Um, but it's not fully a full-blown cancer, it's tumor yet. And so, at that point, they took it out. And I remember my doctor saying at the time, you know, I recommend that you have a mastectomy because it could come back later in life. And I just thought, absolutely not. Let's just take it out and we'll watch it. And so I watched it for 20 years. I watched it. I had regular mammograms and the whole nine yards. And then there was a period of time I was in my um, like early, early 40s and um, my father was ill and I was his caretaker and I just was so caught up in taking care of him and working and everything that I skipped a mammogram. And do you know that the following year is when it showed up? And I, I just thought that was like, Wow. So 20 years I'm watching the one year that I decide I'm not going to have the, a mammogram 
And then the following year, it shows up and it just showed up in this really strange way. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll explain it because you never know. You just have to really pay attention to your body. So I remember I had a cold and I just had a hard time getting rid of this cold. And so I just, I just thought this is a really bad flu. And then I was working on an event. I was in Chicago and I kept having like, like, you know, not necessarily pain, but like twinges and breast cancer, they say is not painful. And so, so let me ask you one question. Were these twinges, were they in your breast or were these pains in your breast or other parts of your body? They were in, it was in the exact same area where the cancer was growing. But I only, I remember I was on a plane and I bent down to pick up my purse on the floor and then I felt this little twinge. And so immediately, and I, I just, I said, okay, something's not right. And I think probably my immune system was down. That's why I couldn't get rid of the cold because it was probably trying to fight, you know, this, this cancer that was developing. It was early stage, early, early stage, which is why it's so important to have these tests because it was so early that they were able to catch it. It, it was the size of a cranberry. And I, I wrote a, a small book about my experience called, her name was Cranberry, because that's how small it was and they were able to take it out. But the thing about it is, um, I still had to have chemo because there was a little bit of cancer in my lymph node. And, and so, and then I, I still had to have radiation and surgery. So even though it's early and they catch it, you don't know where else it could be or, you know, or at what stage or whatever. So those were two moments in my life when it showed up. And because I was present as I could be at the moment in my life, I was able to catch it early. Wow, that is an incredible story. And it really is a reminder to all women out there, get your annual mammograms. You never know. I know that my hospital or doctor has been emailing me. I know when we finish this podcast, I'm about to respond to that email and schedule that appointment. And I hope that everyone listening who hasn't followed up during COVID, because I know a lot of people during the pandemic didn't get all the healthcare that they needed to get. This is your reminder right now, coming from the universe into your ears, take care of yourself, prioritize yourself. And hopefully you have the same sensibility that Evelyn had, that being in tune with your body and really recognizing that something just ain't right. And let me go get it checked out. And I'm really happy. I'm so glad that you are in tune with your body. I know you. So I'm very, very, very happy that you were paying attention. So were you in a relationship at this point, at this point in your, uh, in, in your phase of diagnosis, were you in a relationship at the time? Yeah. At that time I was in a relationship and, um, you know, I basically, I went to my doctor and it, it was actually the radiologist who was so amazing scared the crap out of me, but I had, I went and had a mammogram and immediately um, the, the, the radiologist said, something's not right. And I, I was appalled. I was like, you're not just supposed to break it to me like that. You know what I mean? 
but it wasn't really that it was like the sense of urgency like we've got to you know look a little deeper and and so basically what happened is you know my my doctor kind of laid out the plan of what would happen and so first i had chemo and then you know they want to shrink the tumor and then they ha- you have the surgery and then you know just to make sure that there are no cells floating around you have radiation. And so in terms of intimacy during that period of time, it's really about communication, right? Because your body is not the same in the, in the sense of how you feel. And it depends on where you are in your process. So like during chemo, um, some people get really sick. Some people don't feel much at all. It just depends on your body. And so you can still be intimate. You can still have sex as long as you are comfortable, as long as you feel like I'm okay. And it's a conversation to have because your partner may feel like they want to be gentle with you or they don't want to hurt you or they feel like something could go left. You know what I mean? So you have to really like talk to your doctor. If your doctor says you can still do it, then get it in (laughs) because it actually helps you feel better. Right, right. I, Girl, you're preaching my language. I'm like, orgasms, you know, that's how we know sex is supposed to feel good because there's no biologic purpose for an orgasm other than pleasure. So I like what you said. It is very individualized. So if you feel comfortable having sex during treatment and your doctor has cleared you, there's no reason why you can't. I work with a lot of oncologists, you know, those are cancer doctors. Um, and they talk about never addressing sex when their patients are going through treatment. And I know that it's one of the biggest concerns that patients have. So I'm wondering at what point in your treatment did either your doctor bring it up to you or did you ask your doctor about it? You know, I don't necessarily remember a specific conversation because like it's so many serious things happening. And, and, you know, you almost don't want to know. And what I mean by that is like, there's so much going on. It's like, and your body's changing, your life is changing. Don't tell me I can't have sex. You know what I mean? It's just like (laughs) that. It's the last thing you want to hear. So I don't remember asking the question, but I knew that my vagina still worked. So I don't know that that was a reason for me to not have sex. So it didn't occur to me to ask what, what came up was, um, one, when you're having chemo, um, it's more about comfort with your partner. It's more about intimacy because you don't feel so great. So if, if there are days when it's kind of like a peak in a valley, when you first have chemo, you may be really, you may, you may feel bad and you may get sick and then it kind of weans off. So maybe like If you get chemo on a Monday, on a Wednesday or a Thursday, you might start to feel like yourself again. And then you're like, okay, you know, let's cuddle. Let's, let's do something so that we remain connected. Now, if you had surgery and they do something where, or you had chemo and they put a port in your arm, they put like this kind of metal object in your arm so that the chemo can flow through your, your veins. Um, that was very painful for me. So the idea of having like 
traditional missionary sex when I could bump my arm, that wasn't comfortable. But once they took that out, then it's like you're healing. Um, so then, you know, you feel like you want to have some type of connection again. And if you have surgery, you want to wait until that area is healed, where you, you feel like you have the go ahead that you're not going to, you know, no incision will open up. You don't want any of those issues like that. So those are the things that you really want to look out for in terms of where your body is in the healing stage. And I would say the other thing too, is you want to constantly communicate with your partner about where you are in the healing stage. I think like sex in general, you want to communicate and say, this touch this, don't touch here. Be careful of this area. And then that way your partner doesn't shut down because your partner can become nervous about touching you because they don't want to hurt you. So it, it is really about, you know, first embracing comfort, like making sure you're comfortable and that you have a, 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 a certain type of way that you want to be held and that you communicate that to your partner. And then intimacy, you know, they're all different ways to have sex. So and, and it's an opportunity to expand the boundaries of your relationship Absolutely. if you're feeling up to it. Absolutely. Now, you talked about you were able to communicate with your partner, but I know that's very challenging for a lot of people. I do a sex education program for breast cancer survivors here at the University of Miami at our Sylvester Cancer Center, and a lot of their partners come. And the partners, basically, I swear the session I give is mostly fueled by the partners who have never asked any questions. And a lot have expressed that they actually feel very selfish bringing up the topic of sex while their partner is going through rec recovery and treatment. Like they just want, you know, their wife to live. And now they're like, well, uh, can we have sex? How do we have sex? You mentioned that you were able to communicate with your partner. Did you have any like mental health therapy or a support group? Can you tell us a little bit about how that went? Was it a natural flow or did you get any encouragement from anyone on your team about different ways you might approach it with your partner? Because I know this is one of the biggest challenges that I've seen in couples when one partner is going through treatment. Well, I think one of the things that I remember doing was kind of using what the doctor said as a callback, so to speak. So when you're talking to the doctor and it's almost like you want to ask the questions that you want your partner to hear as well. So that when you make a reference to something, remember when the doctor said X, Y, Z. So it's not you saying it. It's kind of like a reference to what the doctor said. So you could do things like if you're with your doctor, and this is just for your information as well as your partner, it's kind of like, so after I have the breast surgery, how long will it take my breast to heal? She may say, it may be three months, right? And so that right there is, is information that you can talk with your partner about you know what I mean? So use those markers as a way to communicate with your partner. And I would also say your partner is looking to you 
as the signpost, right? So if you're not feeling it, they're not going to feel it. It's almost like because this, this challenge in your life has kind of forced you to be more present to your body and what's happening in your body, I feel like it's also an opportunity to look at other aspects of your life. So maybe you're not vocal. Maybe talking about sex is not easy, but I don't think breast cancer is easy. And so I just, I think it's an opportunity to really step out and, and just do things differently. You know what I mean? And so I took the information that my doctor shared and then used that as a, as a touchstone, as a, a, a jumping off point for a larger conversation. And then just really reiterated when I felt some pain, where, when I was uncomfortable, that is really, really important. Right. And I think what you said was incredibly valuable. I tell everyone, this is the whole reason why I do this podcast in the first place is so you can actually just share it with your partner to ignite a conversation you wouldn't otherwise have. So right now there are survivors or people going through treatment who are listening out there and you don't know how to bring it up to your partner. You could re-listen to this podcast with your partner and it will stimulate a conversation um, that you have never had before and that you really do need to have in order to keep that sensual bond um, or reestablish it if it has been fractured. And I think another really, really critically important thing that you said is taking the phrases right from the doctor. Like the doctor said, in three months, we can do this or we can try this as long as I am comfortable and I will let you know when I'm not. And um, I'm incredibly impressed that you have come up with this, uh, that you have this perspective. It's an opportunity to expand your sex life actually, and to find new ways of, you know, having pleasure with each other. Uh, Sex is much more than just penetration, as we know. And there's a lot of other you know, sexual activities that we can do that stimulate a lot of pleasure and really strengthen our intimate connections. Yeah. Let me tell you, when I was talking about comfort and intimacy, it's one of those things like when you come home from the hospital and whether you've had surgery or chemo and you, you just want to lay down. But what we all want as human beings, especially when we're going through such a challenge we want to be touched. It's just the human touch and let it lets the person that is going through this experience know that they are not alone, that they are still desirable. Because what I will say is that you feel as if your body is betraying you. How is this happening? It's not, you're, you may be losing weight, like all of these things, you're losing your hair, you may not necessarily feel attractive in the traditional way that you once did, right? And so to know that my partner still wants to touch me, still wants to rub my booty like he or she did in the past, like don't stop doing those things that made you feel connected because those are the things that will keep you connected as you go through this process, because it could, you know, it gets rough, like that your partner is going to see some parts of you that 
they may or may not have signed up for. So you want to do as much as you can to um, stay connected in any way that feels intimate to you. Absolutely. And I think I always advocate for massages, you know, among survivors and among all women, anybody out there listening, looking to please a woman, because a woman really can't experience her ultimate satisfaction unless she's completely relaxed. And one thing massages do is they do strengthen these intimate bonds, and they also are very soothing and relaxing. And we know just 20 seconds of human touch it releases oxytocin. And that's the cuddling hormone that's also released during orgasm. And it's a really, really powerful connector. So all of the people out there who love a woman going through treatment or who has survived breast cancer, whether she is feeling sensitive or not, remember the power of touch and reiterate that you are still connected to this person. And even though they might be going through some body changes, that does not change the way that you feel about being intimate with them. And I can't agree with you enough. That reinforcement for all people is really important. But I imagine, especially when you're going through something such a such a large physical change, and that's potentially life-threatening. You know, it's a scary time and um, that intimacy, that support, that connection, that touch, I imagine it's invaluable during that time. It, it truly is. It, it's, it's a lifeline because that's one of the things that you are wondering, even, you know, even my, my breast cancer was at a very early stage, but it's a moment when you question your own mortality. And so you're trying to connect in a more deep way to not just your partner, but everyone in your life, everything is heightened, so to speak. And so there are also stages in terms of uh, your body, right? So there's that moment when you come home from the hospital where everything is like super tender and, you know, you're, you may still be on medication. So, you know, you may be like, just rub my feet. Thank you very much. But then you move, you know, further down the road and your body starts to heal. And there are some side effects of certain things. For example, chemotherapy. Um, one of the, the side effects of that could be vaginal dryness, right? And so a lot of women don't, I mean, whether you've had chemo or not, you don't want to talk about vaginal dryness, <laughs> but it's almost like... Um, a chemical hysterectomy when you have um, chemo. So, um, so again, that's another opportunity. And it does sometimes it doesn't last for everyone. Some people have it, you know, ongoing, and some for some people it's a, a symptom of the moment, depending upon their their body, so to speak. But again, another opportunity. There are lubes. Uh, all kinds of flavors and the whole nine yards experiment. This is an opportunity to maybe you've never tried that before. Try it. You know, right. it's like you, you have to be willing to do something different to get a different result because this is a different period in your life. And you can't, you can't wish things were different. This is kind of your new normal.
And the sooner you make that shift and like, okay, this is where my body is now. And how can I love it regardless of what happened? Like, how can I still find enjoyment and pleasure in my body? Because this is ex an example of your resilience, your beauty, like you made it through and, and you may still be in the midst of it. Be present in the moment. It's not, I never looked at it as like, you know, you see a lot of campaigns or people like, you know, I hate cancer, cancer sucks or whatever. Yeah, it does suck, but I don't suck. You don't suck. It's just a fact of life that it, it happens. We don't know why it happens to us or to certain people, but it, it could be what you want it to be. It could be an experience that closer to your loved ones and to yourself, or it could be this thing that you wake up every morning, you know, hating and, and you don't want that because that, that doesn't help you heal, which is your primary goal. Right. I know that a lot of providers also listen to this show and I work with a lot of doctors and provide a lot of sex education to the doctors who absolutely don't know what to do, don't know what to recommend. I'm wondering, did anyone ever on your treatment team ever discuss like the connection between treatments and how they might impact your sexual health outcomes so that when you're making a decision you're thinking about all these different options on the table. Did your providers ever discuss what the ramifications of those options were in terms of how they might impact your sex life? Absolutely. So when it came to having um, the tumor removed from my breast, so the conversation was around what I wanted to happen. Did I just want to have the tumor re removed, just the mass taken out? Did I want to have um, a full mastectomy? Um, we talked about um, the possibility of, you know, different sizes, because if one breast is reduced, did you want to reduce the other one or did you want to um, get an implant and then make them both larger? Um, you know, some people want even bigger boobs. I, I just wanted it to be over, you know what I mean? Because the idea of like having the surgery and then there's something that they called an expander that you had to put in and then they put the implant in and then I would have to get one over here. I personally didn't want that. So I didn't opt for that option. They talked about sensitivity around the nipple, how you, because of the nerves being cut, you may not have any sensitivity in that nipple if you have a mastectomy and get an implant. I still have my original breast, so I do have sensitivity in my nipple. So it really was all about just the breast healing as opposed to it healing. It did take a time, a little bit of time for the sensitivity to come back, um, but it did definitely come back. So, um, so those are, that was the conversation around, you know, the breast and then around chemo, um, the, the, the one conversation was around fertility um, because uh, it was a question of if you intend to have children, need to have that discussion with your partner if you're still of childbearing age where you may decide to freeze your eggs um, and then possibly do a surrogate down the road. And so 
to me, that that is a great opportunity as well to slide in that sex conversation because this is what's really important. It's like, what if you had sex in between the time you got your cancer diagnosis and you were scheduled to have chemo and you got pregnant? You know what I mean? It's so you need to have that conversation. And if it's the sex conversation that makes you uncomfortable, then you can have the fertility conversation because that is really connected to um, the chemo. They kind of call it chemical menopause, so to speak. Um, so you want to make sure if you do still want to have children that you have healthy eggs. So you want to freeze those eggs prior to that procedure. So that's the kind of conversation we had. And because you know, I was a journalist early in my career, I did have a gazillion questions. I would get a notebook and no matter how ridiculous it is, write those questions down. And if you feel like you don't have a doctor that you can't ask those questions, then you may need another doctor on your team because this is your life. And you don't want to feel afraid. You're afraid enough of the diagnosis. So you don't want to be afraid to ask questions about your diagnosis for feeling that you might look stupid or that it's a dumb question. There's no dumb question when you're trying to figure out how to save your, your life and heal your body. Excellent, excellent advice, Evelyn. In a moment, we're going to talk about some of the amazing things you've done since recovery, which is launch a whole career in health and wellness. But I want to remind so many patients, they're not the first patient the doctor has ever treated. Someone has likely asked these questions before and should be prepared to answer them. Thank you so much for being with us today, Evelyn. And everyone, you know the deal for your daily dose of Nookie knowledge. Check me out on all the social media networks. That's Dr. Sanjaya, D-R-S-O-N-J-I-A on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Come on, you know you want to link up. Y'all, even though today was a very serious conversation about sex and breast cancer, I always have so much fun. And it was especially wonderful with Evelyn Brooks here to really drop some personal insight on how anybody can move forward from a very, very difficult situation. I can't wait to talk to you guys again next time at Sex in South Beach, where everyone comes for happier, healthier sex. Don't you deserve great sex? Turn on the Sex in South Beach podcast to level up your love life. Sex in South Beach, hosted by Dr. Sanjaya, America's only Ivy League educated sexologist and medical professor at the University of Miami. Find Sex in South Beach on iTunes, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Sex in South Beach, where everyone comes for happier, healthier sex.